on today's Money with Friends. Social media changing the way that parents spend money on school supplies. How? We'll have that on today's show. And U Sports in the USA, a new study out shows that middle class and poor kids, they're ditching U Sports and not because they don't want to play. That's today with our special guest, Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances on Money with Friends. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Money with Friends from Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. And from my bedroom closet where I record paychecks and balances, I'm Rich Jones. And I said balances, but you know what? I'm going to let it go. You are going to let it go. We do the show live, believe it or not. And this is the financial news show that includes commentary on recent financial headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. And today, our thought leader, who also needs a pronunciation guide to words, is my friend Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. Today's show, by the way, brought to you by Acre Trader, Farmland Investing Simplified. Head to stacking, excuse me, acretrader.com forward slash MWF. That's acretrader.com forward slash MWF. And you'll see an explainer video that tells you all about it. We'll talk about the two ways you make money with Acre Trader also later in the show. Mr. Jones and me doing the headlines today to quote uh, a couple different songs. But how, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's early for me, uh, fresh off a of podcast movement, just getting my voice back a bit. I still got some gravel, some some rocks in there. And that Mr. Jones and me is definitely a throwback. I can I can hear the song in my head, and now that's going to be in my head all day. So I, thanks, Joe. I know it's totally a Counting Crows earworm, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And when that song came out, there was like a two-year stretch where every time I met someone, they would just, I can't do it because my voice is so gone, but they would like sing that and I'd be like, all right, this is really obnoxious. Can yeah. we just have a conversation? Yeah. You're like, or, please no. <laughs> or the other one, uh, there was a song that came out. It's an old song, Me and Mrs. Jones. Yes. And you, so I paused there because you could imagine how those conversations probably went. And I'm like, hey man, don't be singing about my mama. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's see which of our friends is going to kick off today's show for us. This is Bethany from the Money Millhouse. Money headlines explained three days a week. That means you're tuned in to Money with Friends. All right. Our first headline comes to us from Money. It's written by Elizabeth Renter. Uh, and Rich, you picked this one. Why'd you pick this headline? Because it's, well, one. It's back to school time, but I remember back in the day when I went to school, I wasn't really influenced by any other kids and what they were getting. It was more so the commercials that I saw on TV. So when I was going to school, especially elementary school, five-star first gear was the thing. Do you remember that? Uh, yes. Uh, even though that's a little younger than me, I do. I, do remember. <laughs> I well, was more moon boots and Jordache jeans, but whatever. <laughs> I'm assuming that at some point in time, you may have purchased a five-star trapper keeper for somebody or for a kid, <laughs> but that was my generation. And, and so that was the hot thing. And there was stuff like shoes and getting Jordans or sure. whatever the shoe w was at the time. But there was not this, I, I, I don't think I ever made my parents feel pressured, which I'll talk a little bit more about that as I read the story. But it, it's, I just found that interesting and very much a sign of the times that we're in. Well, and I think this is interesting too, and we'll get into this later. I don't think this is just school supplies. I mean, I think even if you don't have kids, hang on, because this has a lot to do with uh, society. So jump in, Rich, take it from here. 
Yes. So the title on this one, Social Media is Causing Parents to Overspend on School Supplies. And the other thing I'll say about this article is that uh, it gives some tips, but those tips are applicable regardless of if you have kids or not. And I actually read it as if tips I could take for myself. So kids pushing their parents for the coolest and back to school gear is a late summer tradition. And today, youngsters have some backup social media influencers. Peer and social media influences on children are not news unto themselves, but it turns out these factors are affecting how parents spend their back-to-school dollars, according to a NerdWallet survey conducted online by the Harris Poll. The online survey included 2010 U.S. adults, among whom 595 are parents of kids in kindergarten through college. Of those parents, at least 6 in 10 say their children are influenced by peers or social media when making their back-to-school wish list. And about half of these parents, 51%, say they typically end up buying back-to-school products their kids want because of these influencers. And this also just makes me think about the age at which kids are getting on social media. So, quote, the notion of keeping up with the Joneses, (laughs) that's me, (laughs) is amplified on social media with an entire army of influencers telling your child what they need to have this year. They can make back-to-school shopping a real headache, says NerdWallet personal finance expert Kelsey Sheehy, or Sheehy. Ease the pressure by having a plan in place before you get started. You could even turn it into a learning opportunity and involve your child in the process so they can prioritize and work within a budget. And I'm going to pause there. It does go into some key findings, but any thoughts on this part so far, good sir? Well, I I think this is interesting because the thing going through my head as you're talking is – uh, I mean, even before social media, there were all these pressures. They say that 60% of kids feel pressure, but, but there was even pressure. There was no social media when I was growing up, not to tell old guy stories, but it, but, but, but still there was a lot of societal pressure to show up in the right clothes. So this is nothing new, just the delivery mechanism might be different. And I'm also wondering, and we'll get to some of the key findings here. I'm wondering if social media though, does accelerate it because we can see so many people beyond just our individual school. Like, you know, if it wasn't cool in my fourth grade classroom, it didn't matter where here it might be in the next town. It might be the next, it might not even be in the same country. And I'm worried about it. You just made me think of something because I remember when I would see the commercials when I was younger, that's where I got the enthusiasm kids. And then of course, yes, there were who had the freshest backpack, who had the freshest, I'm not sure if it was Jordan's jeans or whatever it was at, at the time for me, but now a kid can follow a TV show and they can actually interact with that person online or at least perceived interaction, even though that person probably won't respond to them. But you're a lot more connected to people and you're able to relate to people in a totally different way today than we were able to back then. So well, yeah, it, go ahead. No, well, Tina and I were talking about, we're both following uh, Grant and Elena Cardone on, on uh, Instagram. And I don't know if you're following them, but they're, they're going around the world. Uh, uh, Grant Cardone is a big real estate guy going around the world. And Tina was commenting about how you feel like, you know, them, and as yes. they as they buy stuff and they do stuff, it makes you want to do it, which is why, you know, influencers are both really cool and could also be potentially incredibly dangerous. Your kids following these influencers and they they talk about how cool this thing is and you feel like you know them. Well, you know, it's just like your best friend at school had something. It's exactly that. And I even think about I forget the kid's name, but you probably know who I'm talking about. He is he makes like millions on YouTube. He's like, like his whole thing is just like opening toys. Right. And that, and like, that's the whole show. It's just like Johnny opens this. 
And well, he's not making millions. His parents are making millions. So his college is going to be fully funded. But I am imagining kids watching that, seeing him open this toy, then saying, mom, dad, I want that. Get that for me. And I'm sure that this person is probably on other platforms as well. But yeah, that's like, that's a thing now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So dive into these, man. Yeah. Yeah. So key findings. Nearly all 97% of parents with children in kindergarten through college plan on back to school shopping this year. Okay. That's not too surprising. Sure. Half of parents planning to do back to school shopping this year say they will likely splurge and they don't define what splurging means uh, compared with 93% of those who shopped last year who say they splurged six in 10 parents with kids in school say their children are influenced by social media and 67% say their children are influenced by friends on what they want for on what they want to buy for back to school. More than half, 52% of these parents say they feel pressured by their children to buy back to school items they want, even if they cost more than they normally want to spend. So let me ask you, because I would ask my parents for things and it was either just like, yes, no, there was no like pressuring them into buying something. (laughs) It's either we got the money for it or we don't. How about you? I I remember getting this uh, from my kids. Well, everybody in the uh, hanging out with us on Facebook, by the way, we do this in front of a Facebook audience. If you want to hang out with us while we make the show head to our stacking Benjamins page, actually, because this is part of the stacking Benjamins family of shows. It's facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamins, but a lot of talk about trapper keepers here, you know, and also talking about, (laughs) about got to have a caboodle to hold all your makeup or uh, Lisa Frank folders for the win. Like different people have different things that they, that they really want. I remember my kids though, talking about this, talking about how I I had to have a certain type of certain type of thing um, that everybody had at the very least. I didn't feel the need for me, for my parents to make it expensive, but it had to be attractive. At the very least, I didn't want people laughing at me. So there were times when my mom thought the things that I'm not coming up with anything specific, but where she's like, Oh, we're buying that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying that color or I'm not buying that, that thing. You know, I, and my mom would think something's really cool. And I'm like, Nope, can't do it. Can't do it. If we could have a kiss logo on it though, that would make it better. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting to me. And so I am, I am not a parent, but I imagine uh, being a parent and then you've got the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing where you want to be like all the other families on your street. You don't want to be the person bringing up the rear. And then it almost feels like there may even be some level of competition where you want your kid to show up with the freshest stuff and be like all of the other kids and not be the child who's coming in, bringing up the rear. So for me, this this article, it gave me like a whole new appreciation for the keeping up with the Joneses concept. And uh, the other thing, I always think of this commercial, and it's I think it's for like NBA tickets.com, where uh, they see a neighbor, there's a father and a son, and they're, I believe they're on social media, <laughs> like, like the son is on social media, and they see that the other family went to the basketball game, and then it's like, how they get tickets to the game? And then a couple of minutes later, they're at the game. And I'm like, if that is not keeping up with the Joneses, like you really saw that someone else was there and then immediately felt like you had to be there. So you immediately dropped that money. If that's not keeping up with the Joneses, I don't know what is. We all know the fear of missing out is strong. I mean, it's just a strong, natural human reaction that we all have that, man, everybody's doing X thing. And uh, I really want to do X thing. I have to say, you know, you and I were just at a conference together called Podcast Movement. And you and I made a decision that even though we had a phenomenal conversation, uh, uh, we sat at a bar instead of going to a party and just had, by the way, one drink, 
one drink because we were yes, both one. super tired from the night before and um, and decided to skip the party. I don't know about you, but at the beginning of that, there was a piece of me that goes, I really should go to the party, see what it's all about. Yes, I had that moment, but then I also thought about how good sleep would feel. That was me too. <laughs> that was me too. <laughs> yes. And now, I thought if I could if I could have a great discussion with you, which we always have, and and um, uh, get to bed early, beats a party any day. But they're still in the back of your mind. Like you're talking about that fear of missing out. What's going on at the party while we're not there? Everybody yes. else, quote, everybody else is doing the thing. I want to do that first. Let's get to the, let's do these takeaways here because they've got some uh, good things that parents should consider. And actually all of us but who are influenced by social media should consider. Yes. And with these tips, while this is geared toward parents in a lot of ways, I think it could be applied to anyone. So the first tip they had, share the list in a budget with your child. You have a list of things your child needs and likely can't indulge every whim on brand names and costly designs. Helping your child understand this up front can save you from an argument in the store and can impart a useful lesson in personal finance. By setting a dollar limit before the shopping begins, you can avoid you can avoid the, ex- the exasperation of being pressured into a pair of sneakers that easily eats into the money for notebooks and pencils. We, and- did, we did this one, not to interrupt, but, but, but we totally did this one. You could splurge on X thing, but that meant we had to cut back somewhere else. So having my kids decide where they splurge and where they, they cut back so we stayed within budget was actually a lot of fun. Like the family had a really good time doing that. Those are some interesting discussions. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And so applying this to the average individual who doesn't have kids, I think about going into Target <laughs> because you go into Target for one thing. You say you're going to get just, you know, you're going to pick up some some body wash and a loofah. And then next thing you know, you're walking out with cereal, you're walking out with this. So even just the idea of setting a limit when you go into a store like that or setting a limit when you go on to an Amazon and, and thinking about what you really need. And if you do decide you're going to get these extra things, that means that there's going to have to be a sacrifice somewhere along the way as well. So I, I thought that was applicable across. No, the I absolutely love that. We're not going to get into it today, but people listening or watching, go look at zero. what's called zero-sum budgeting. Because that makes it easy to apply, Rich, what you're talking about here. If it's a zero-sum budget, you only have X amount of dollars to spend. It, it it really helps that. It's a little analytical for budgeters. I don't do it today, but I've done it in the past when dollars were tight. Zero-sum budgeting can help a lot. I love that. Definitely going to check that out. So tip two, make a realistic budget and plan. Again, applicable to everyone. If you know you always splurge this time of year, and for me, I have multiple splurge periods throughout the year, so this is definitely resonating. 42% of parents say they do, or believe it's likely, set a budget that accounts for this. Give yourself wiggle room to buy a few splurge items, but rein in spending on things you can get at a bargain price. Yeah. If you're completely honest with yourself and you know you'll spend more than you have, Begin saving for back-to-school shopping like you do for holiday shopping or any big purchase. And one thing that I like to do and and that I build into my budget is I account for some of these things that I'm going to buy throughout the year. I'm like, okay, I'm going to probably buy some video games or I'm going to buy this. And I forget what the term, maybe it's annualizing it. I actually have like an ongoing budget line item where I say, here's how much I plan to spend uh, for the year on this. And it has a per month dollar amount. So even if I don't spend that amount, uh, in that particular month, it's at least accounted for. And then next month, maybe I spend that amount or I spend a little bit more. But the point is that 
I see in my monthly budget that there is a line item for this particular thing and a dollar amount that I'm a dollar amount that I'm trying to stay within. I like this idea of, uh, well, the word I like in here is realistic. And the reason I like that is because of the fact that and I was having this discussion with somebody on Twitter the other day about how they had a really tight budget. And um, when you have a super tight budget, you tend to do these boom bust cycles. Like you deprive yourself for so long, you go do stupid things with money later on to celebrate. Like, hey, my budget was great for two months. Let's go buy a big screen TV and high five ourselves, <laughs> you know? And then it's just wrecked, right? Because you buy yeah. it on credit. So um, instead, this realistic budget where it's a little bit more loose. So you know that when you get in there, you're going to want something XYZ. I'm probably another video game guy where I'll look at something and uh, yeah, probably got to have new golf game out. Mm. I saw a new train game out the other day. Got to have a new train. A game. new what game? A new train game. I'm, I'm a train nerd. Uh, a train game? Train. What is a train? Now, this is off topic, but what exactly is a train game? This is where you drive trains on your Xbox. So y- yes. <laughs> I never knew that that was a thing that you could do that. It probably isn't a thing, but it is for me. I find it. I find it very fun to try to stay on a schedule with my passengers as I, as I uh, drive the train down the tracks. There is something for everybody. I, I have so many questions, but I'm going to go on to tip three. We'll talk about that. After yes, the show. Absolutely. Uh, if I had my uh, uh, Homer Simpson nerd thing here, I would have played it right then. But the um, uh, uh, but this idea of a realistic budget, uh, the word realistic, I think is great. Not too tight. In fact, uh, in in the uh, Facebook comments right now, I really like this from Kimberly. She says, my parents always thought the extra money for supplies was a small amount to pay for us to be excited to go back to school. And this doesn't have to be school supplies, Rich. I really like this idea of a little bit extra money keeps you excited about the budget if, if if you keep it way too tight and it you know especially if you're budgeting with other people they're going to absolutely hate it they're going to hate it and then sooner or later you're not going to do it anymore and a lot of people when they hear the term budgeting it's not the, the the hottest term that's out there but a lot of people associate budgeting with restrictions and that's not really what it's 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 essentially geared to just keep you like within the rails and keep you on path to whatever goals you have but a lot of people see it as a restriction which i think is what makes it challenging yeah and have we done the third one here uh no make comparing and matching prices a habit apps such as shop savvy or scan life make it easy to compare prices while you're in the store compare prices on exact products across retailers then ask a clerk or check store websites for price matching policies these policies vary widely from retailer to retailer for example target target and staples have generous price matching policies but amazon doesn't price match at all and i've never really been a price matching person but then i also think about the way that i shop and when it comes to a lot of things <laughs> i typically do go to amazon and i buy them online so i don't have that brick and mortar experience of hey i could get this down the street for x can you do something for me so i, I right. actually wonder how many people or what percent of people actually take price matching seriously I don't know about price matching because I don't do that either. But here's what I do know. If I go to a mall and I've already done some work online about what I want to buy and I have a list of what I want to buy, I go directly to the store, I buy the thing and I leave. And it's because of the preparation I went. And I'm always amazed. when I, and, and, and largely now I, I do that um, just because I want to spend time away from the mall. But what's always amazing about the mall 
or stores is rich the number of people you see that are just walking around. Clearly, the longer you walk around a mall, the more likely you are to come away with something you didn't plan to buy, you know? <laughs> something you didn't need. Yeah, I know. All the window shopping and then eventually after you pass 50 stores, you finally break and then, yeah, you're walking out with something you didn't uh, have in the uh, list of things that you actually needed. And even I will go into various stores in the mall. And if I if I see the same thing, I will go across the various stores that might carry that same product, that same whatever it is, and make sure that I'm getting the best price for it because I don't want to get home and then realize, crap, I could have gotten this for $50, $75 cheaper. But I also think about uh, even how folks do price matching and, and couponing and they think that that's going to be the path to wealth when it's like these coupons and saving $25, $30 here. Like ultimately that's not no. what's going to make you wealthy, but those may be things that help you stay within your budget going back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. And especially by the way, with kids, we do that with our kids. We planned online ahead of time like that. That would help my kids get in there and get all excited about trying to find now in, instead of then becoming what are we going to buy today that instead, if we have the list and we looked online first, we're then more likely to play a scavenger hunt of how can I find that stuff and uh, makes it uh, fun and, um, and money s- tends to stay in your wallet. Uh, there's a lot more here. We will link to this uh, piece on our uh, show notes page at uh, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Uh, big takeaway from this one, Rich. Oh, the big takeaway for this one is be practical and, again, going back to being realistic. So I I think we all have a sense of the times throughout the year where uh, spending is going to go up. So maybe that's around the holidays. Maybe that's around uh, travel where maybe you're traveling for birthdays or or you're traveling for weddings and uh, know that there are going to be things that come up along the way. And uh, while you may have a budget, sometimes you you may have to go outside of that budget go outside of that budget or feel bad for going outside of it, but it's also something necessary. And I also think that uh, people should take time to reward themselves. So keeping things realistic, practical, understanding what you have going going on throughout the year, and uh, also not getting too caught up in the social media influencer game, even though I guess we're technically part of those uh, or part of that group, but uh, making sure that uh, you're not just making purchases simply because you saw something online and you thought that it looked cool and uh, taking that step back to say, is this something that I really need? Is this something that my child really needs? And is there a lesson I can teach them? Yeah. If they are tuck- yeah. tugging at my jeans about it, uh, telling me that it's something that they have to have. We talked about a lot of lessons uh, uh in this whole piece and around this piece, which I love, I'm going to, I'm going to second what you just said there about social media influence. If you want to learn a great lesson, go uh, do a Google search. I use Bing, not that I'm, you know, not just as a Microsoft fanboy, but because Bing pays you to search. So I end up, I end up, yeah, I end up getting about 30 to $35 worth of Amazon credit a year for doing something I have to, you and I have to do all the time anyway. So, and Bing gives me, Bing gives me the same results Google does. Like I generally come away with, you know, everything that's spot on and I get paid. So, uh, I'm expecting to see their logo float in the background. That's right. (laughs) That's right. This episode brought to you by Microsoft. No, I just, 
<laughs> I just, when I found out that I get paid and I have to search all day anyway, why the hell wouldn't I do that? So, because I don't, I, am I, opening a, I don't care. I'm opening a Bing tab right now. I don't think you're my, allowed to do in my that. Chrome browser. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that based on who you work for. So, yeah, so there is a conflict of interest, but I'm going to open this tab because I'm trying to get paid to do what I do. Just right. The, uh, 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 but, but do a, a Google or a Bing or whatever search, do a, do a, do a search about how hard it is to put these Instagram influencer, uh, pretty shots together. And you learn that this is not real life. And it's actually a fascinating exercise to see how much work influencers put into influencing you to do something you might not otherwise do. Good lesson for kids. Good lesson for all of us. And uh, the FOMO then stays away, I think, a little longer. So random quick thought. I recently found out that for some influencers, like the folks who they'll be on a jet or they'll be in some expensive house, expensive house, they actually rent that time. Like, so like yeah. when you see someone like on a jet, it's like jet setting across the world, but you notice you, they never show out the window, like things like, like clouds or anything like yes. that. You can actually pay to go on a jet and record and act like you're traveling and living it up. Like that is a thing. I rented this uh, this uh, uh, map behind me that's very professionally drawn. Um, I rented it from a third grader who made it. It's uh, yeah, incredible. It's expensive. Uh, the, uh, yeah, it's it, well, you know. On that note, this morning I was watching because I follow a lot of influencers just to see how they work. And there was a woman getting out of a car, and then I noticed further down my feed, I saw her on Instagram getting out of a, another car. Like one was really focused on her getting out of the car. The next one was focused on her doing something else, but she's standing in front of a car. But it's a totally different car, and you know they're just renting these cars, you know, to to, to do it. Well, Ty Lopez, right? I mean, that's a big. I mean, t- I mean, I guess if I guess I will call that investing in the brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I'll chalk it up as. Yeah, I think that puts a lid on our first piece. Yes. And I chose this piece. Uh, this one it comes to us from CBS News, and it was pretty disturbing. I saw somebody sharing this online. Uh, this is written by Amy Peachy, and it's kids uh, a game over, middle class and poor kids are ditching you sports. And by the way, this is not what I thought it was initially. Initially, I thought this was going to be about parents not really doing their job. And it's uh, far more scary, I think, than that and really becomes a money piece. So let's dive in. Uh, Amy writes, from Little League to the ubiquitous suburban soccer field, you sports in the U.S. have long been considered an important part of growing up. But the rising cost of playing sports, coupled with rising economic inequality, is increasingly leading poor and even middle class families to hang up their cleats. That trend is being fueled by the growth in pay to play sports, which is making organized athletics prohibitively expensive for many households. Participation in sports among families earning less than 75000 has dropped since 2011, according to the Aspen Institute's Project Play. By contrast, children from better off families are participating in even great greater numbers about seven of 10 children from families that are more than a hundred thousand dollars play sports compared with three in 10 from families earning less than 25,000 the nonprofit think tank found in a 2018 report seven in 10 for a hundred thousand more three in 10 less than 25,000 just to don't want to let that go uh, the typical American family spends get this number about seven hundred dollars a year on their child's sports activities, but some parents shell out as much as 35000 
annually pay for lessons, camp, school sports, fees, equipment, travel, and more, according to Project Play. Even public schools are increasingly charging for sports due to budget cuts, data from the RAND Corporation shows. Families earning 50000 or less or middle or lower income households cited cost as the top reason their kids don't participate in organized sports, the RAND study noted. Quote, we have a system that's based on the concept of up or out, like we have in a lot of corporate America, except it's not merit-based, said Tim Ferry, executive director of the Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program. It's disproportionately based on whether you come from a family with money or if you're that child who's simply an early bloomer. Uh, Then it gets into the child game. I don't think we need to go into that. Uh, This piece is fairly long, and we'll link to this also. But, but Rich, there's a lot going on here under the hood. How big were sports to you growing up? Man, well, one, I can't imagine a childhood without sports. Uh, I played sports. I mean, I was competitive, and I think we were talking about that earlier, even before we started recording. Like, I was a very competitive kid. So even in elementary school, uh, Little League Baseball, and yes, I – I had to get a glove. I had to get, you know, maybe some some cleats, but it wasn't it wasn't like a big financial cost. And then even playing uh, basketball in middle school, I might have to get sneakers or something like that. And then high school sports were taken care of. And I did play uh, AAU basketball during the summer where uh, I traveled with the family and I realized that they spent a lot of money. Looking back, I realized that they were spending a lot of money for their son to have him go to these different camps and everything to get his basketball game up. And exactly for the reason that's noted in the article, whereas they were trying to position him to be uh, eligible for a scholarship at a college or, or university. But this is new to me, like reading this piece and, and hearing this, I, I, I'm wondering how this has become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, like it got away from us. Like it totally yeah. got away from us because, uh, and by the way, in in my kids' schools, I saw uh, the I saw a uh, sports fees for the teams because of budget cuts, and I also saw then a lot of things that were covered when I was a kid, um, uh, not covered at all. Um, so uniform costs, that type of thing, you 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 uh, had to add that to the equation as a parent, and then. Um, because of the fact that, that it was so, uh, it was so competitive, you would see richer families. Even when I was a kid, you'd see richer families sending kids to camps that I couldn't do, but not doing it at all makes me feel like schools and society in general kind of see sports as like icing on the cake, meaning it's not a part of the true education of a person where I look at from healthy living to interaction with other people to just society to some degree is competitive. And I get that sports aren't for everybody, but I think for a, a big slice, not a small slice of people and, and their education, there's so many things that athletics can teach you that making it icing on the cake instead of the cake, you know, is a big mistake. Yeah. And there, there are so many life lessons and so many little things that I think I learned about myself. And again, even going back to being competitive, teamwork, which is a basic and core skill to any type of job, being able to communicate, whether it's verbally or being able to be on the same wavelength with someone without uh, physically or verbally communicating with them. These are all things that you learn through sports. And uh, what Kimberly says here in the chat 
uh, the main reason I stayed out of trouble in school was because I didn't want to get kicked out of my clubs and sports. This is so sad to me. And that's a whole other thing, because I think about if if kids are not able to participate in sports uh, because of uh, financial restrictions, how are they then going to repurpose that time? Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, I'd, I'd imagine it's not going to be. Uh, reading more books, <laughs> to be honest with you, they're going to repurpose that time and energy some other way that might not be as productive and could even potentially be destructive. So that this piece, it 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 it, it is sad to me also. That yeah, this is where we are. well, what's sad and, and where you're headed, and I think you got nine tenths of the way there is it does become the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Because the destructive habits that are formed when you're not when you're not in some organized group act and not everything has to be organized, by the way. Uh, so I don't want to make that point. But um, when you have this activity out there where back to Kimberly's point again, it's it's helping you stay focused. Um, you know, the, 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 the kids that can afford to play are getting these lessons that you're no longer getting. I was that kid, by the way. So I ran track and cross country. I also ran those in, in uh, college, but during the winter, that meant being in the, in the Midwest, I didn't have a sport. And so I was always excited at the end of cross country season in the fall that I would get some time to focus on my grades and focus on my schoolwork. Dude, I never did. I never did. <laughs> I totally, I, I got, I got fat and dumb during that period. And I ended up, you know, not doing anything constructive. My senior year of high school, I finally figured out, like I had some a little bit more emotional intelligence and I got that that was an issue. And I joined the swim team and my grades, my senior year of high school stayed high. And in college I went and I looked at rec leagues and different things that I could do when my sport wasn't in session. Of course, in college, we were still practicing too in the winter, but, um, but I always look for things to get involved in because I knew myself better. Um, yes, yes. And I feel like I'm getting fat and dumb now because I'm not playing it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not playing any sports, but I think about college. Uh, so I ran track in college too. So I did indoor, outdoor. I was a long jumper. Can't jump too far now. And pretty much the whole school year through, I was I was always training because we'd get to school and then we were preseason training for indoor track and then indoor track rolled right into outdoor track. And it gave me a level of structure. I think that's that, that's what's been really key is that it gave me a level of structure and I built my day around knowing that, okay, I have track practice at 4.30 PM. There were certain parties, decisions that I made, things I chose not to go to, things I did go go to, how I ate, how I slept. It all revolved around the structure of knowing that I had this commitment, something that I needed to be at every day. And that if I did not give my best at that, then I was letting my team down. I was letting myself down too, but I was letting my, my, my team down, which you know, looking back now, I'm like, well, that was it. Like that was a huge thing. And I think part of why, why I've gotten a little bit out of, uh, a lot out of shape now, uh, is, uh, I I don't have that level of structure that, that sports can bring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we can even widen this. I mean, there's kids that that don't necessarily do sports. They do other, they do other, uh, you know, debate team or whatever it might be. Um, those, those bring a lot of the same structure. And I think, so I, I think to, to kind of get around to what's the point of this, because this, this article is disturbing. It's a trend. Um, I think that if we go back to what we talked about with the first piece, just a little bit, this idea of fear missing out as a parent, 
I think I have to make sure that that, that this makes it harder on the parent to make sure that you're doing the right and prioritizing the right things. And I get that there might not be room in the budget anymore for the pay sports, but that means you're going to have to find this education in another way. Like, you know what I mean? Knowing what your curriculum is as a parent and then say, okay, if I can't afford X because it's $700 or whatever the number is, I have to find another way to bring this to them instead of, uh, you know, having them spend more time on the Xbox. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find a, uh, a, a golden nugget within this one, but I'm actually finding myself more angry <laughs> than, than anything else because... I just keep thinking, uh, how did how did it get to this? And you're right. I'm, I was also thinking about what you said earlier, where I'm like, okay, now, yeah, the, the rich are getting richer, and the poor are going to, are going to get poorer. And I never thought of, I never thought of sports as something that would put somebody ahead per se. Like, yes, I understand if you're a high school jock, okay, you're going to be popular, or you could get a scholarship. But I'm just now having the realization that now given what sports has taught me that opportunity is being taken away from a number of people in a way. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and not to belabor your point, but, but sports was always the equalizer, right? You could come, you could come from a family that didn't have big means. And if you were an excellent athlete, it didn't matter how much money your parents had. If you, if, if you could run, or uh, if you could kick, if you could throw, if you could jump, whatever it was, uh, that sport, it was a great equalizer. And in our community, it was a huge equalizer. You know, you'd be friends with because you were on teams together with people um, that are from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds and um, learn a lot about a lot of uh, diverse people because they're on your team with you and you're supporting each other, which was so exciting. Yes. And broadening it beyond sports. And I'm thinking about uh, my college application process. And so I was involved in a lot of stuff. I, I did sports. I did. I, so I went to a military JROTC high school. So I was in all sorts of military ish type clubs. And part of uh, what I submitted with my college application was a collage that showed all of the various activities and groups that I was a part of. So I do think so. So while the, the article itself is unfortunate, I do think that there is something within there on the idea of investing for the future, but looking at it a different way, because a lot of what I did and a lot of what my parents tried to provide was to best position me to get into a good college, which I did. And so I do think there's this element of, and I guess you could call this in investing in, in your child's future success, but this is in a context that I had not thought about it before. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, in just a second, Rich and I are going to have what we call the big idea. We're going to con- try to combine these two pieces. Rich is actively thinking of his as we talk. Uh, the uh, youth sports going bye-bye for many in the U.S. and uh, school supplies. You might kind of see where we're going. If you're following us on Facebook right now, feel free to put yours in. What's your big idea, your big takeaway from these two? While we're waiting for Rich to get his together and maybe you get yours. I'm going to talk about Acre Trader here for a second because Acre Trader sponsors this show. And the reason is because I asked them to. I'm a kid that grew up talking about growing up. I grew up in farm country. Uh, There's probably not many types of 
fields that I didn't work in growing up. And we had farmers all around me. What I know about farmland because of that is that farmland prices don't have the same gyration that you see in residential and commercial real estate. It is much, much more steady over time. And because of that, it's a very boring investment. Boring, though, is a good thing. A recent uh, recent Acre Trader piece uh, focused on the fact that you've seen a lot of institutional money headed toward farms increasingly over the past 10 years. And the reason is, is because these fund managers get it. They get the fact that boring equals good, and these returns can be uh, attractive. Also, and this is scary, there's lots of acreage disappearing by the minute in the United States. Uh, Farmland's going bye-bye, which means this becomes an even more valuable commodity. But it's not sexy. It's not exciting. What happens is they take a field that you probably can't afford on your own. They subdivide it into little pieces and you then invest a much smaller piece so you don't have to buy the entire field. And when you do that, then Acre Trader takes care of the rest. You don't have to be a farmer. Acre Trader finds a farmer who, who works the field. They make sure the soil stays sustainable. They're based in Northwest Arkansas, right in the heart of America's breadbasket and right down the street from the University of Arkansas, which has a huge ag program. My daughter went there, uh, so I know all about their ag program. Uh, but they're right down the, the, the road from those people and their experienced people in the investment community. So that's why I like Acre Trader now. Two things. Number one is it's only for accredited investors. Look that up because it might not apply to you. But then number two is, is that uh, this is a field you're buying a part of. So this should be money that you can afford to lock up for a while because the way that you get your money back, you'll get a dividend every time the farmer pays the rent and you'll see appreciation, but you don't get back the appreciation in your money until the farmer sells the field or until Acre Trader sells the field. So watch the explainer video. Use our link. By the way, that's how they pay us for their involvement in the show pay us to keep podcasting is if you do buy and you use our link, but even if you don't buy, if you're going to check it out, use our link. So they know that we sent you it's uh, acretrader.com forward slash M W F for money with friends, acretrader.com forward slash M W F for more on them. As you can tell, Rich, I kind of like that product a little bit. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I feel like I want a couple acres. <laughs> you're just like, maybe. Yeah. I want to I get my acre game up. Well, farmland is so interesting. If you know, you know, I mean, if you've got no interest in farms or that stuff, I wouldn't do it. But I would definitely look into it if you're somebody who's at all attracted to that. All right. Time for the big idea. You want to go first or second? I'm going to go first. And so this is a tough one this week uh, with the second article. And I'm trying to figure out how to, how to tie these two things together. And uh, I'm going to try to link it based off of something that I said a few minutes ago. And uh, I think... Both pieces have uh, an element of, but I'll say budgeting and forecasting. I know the other piece was a lot about social media influence, but thinking about the uh, back to school time and that there are going to be these things that come up throughout the year, things that you may be able to anticipate, things that you may not be able to anticipate and uh, always or trying to look ahead and trying to make sure that you, you have a good grasp of those various periods throughout the year where you may see your spending spike. And uh, as for the second piece, uh, it's a little bit more on the on the unfortunate side. But uh, when uh, we talk about uh, parents saving for saving for kids to go to school, to go to college, I don't know that we're necessarily talking about 
being able to pay for them to play sports. So to me, it's a whole different type of kind of forecasting and looking ahead where now it seems we're headed in a direction where in order to be able to participate in some of these activities, there's going to be more of a financial cost to that. So it's not just about uh, tuition for college. It's not just about even tuition for high school, but then also thinking about the money that you may need to spend on a yearly basis to ensure that your kid is able to, to participate in the right activities, groups, things that they want to do. It's unfortunate that we're getting there, but I think there's another level of looking ahead and setting money aside where possible. And I understand that that's going to vary from person to person just based off of their specific financial uh, situation. But uh, budgeting, forecasting, looking ahead, that's my big idea, trying to combine these two stories. Yeah, and it's definitely uh, big here. I love forecasting time, too, looking at the future because it, it it's just it's so helpful i find that even if i never look at it again when i write down a bunch of goals like and forecast like where do i want to be six months from now a year from now a year and a half from now og in our stacking benjamin show tells a great story about how he wrote a bunch of stuff down and he put it in a bag that he used to take on trips and he quit taking that bag and then two years later he goes and he is finds this bag in the back of a closet and opens it up and sees this piece of paper, almost everything that he'd written on that list that he wanted to do, he'd done. And the reason was the act of writing it down ended up being such a big thing, which kind of is, is exactly rich where I'm headed. You know, uh, rich and I, again, just got back from this conference called podcast movement where we focused on podcasting, but we didn't do it like we're doing it here where we're actually making the show or daily in the basement where I'm working on the show. We're looking at things from 30,000 feet. And I think a lot of this stuff we talked about today is about going to 30,000 foot level before you start, uh, working in the trenches. I think that uh, the big takeaway for me, the big idea is designing your own curriculum and what are you teaching? Because if you're letting social media affect what you're buying on, uh, on school supplies or on whatever the thing is, you're letting influencers decide what products that you purchase. Well, then two different people can have an agenda. The companies making these things that hire the influencers have an agenda or you have an agenda. If you don't have an agenda, their agenda automatically wins. But you can go to 30,000 feet and you can create your own agenda to decide what to buy. So having a plan before you walk into the place where you know what your agenda is gets rid of a lot of that fear missing out. And I think that having an agenda and and asking yourself, what are you teaching your kids far more important today than it used to be. For you and I, Rich, at least for me anyway, uh, playing sports was just kind of going with the flow in my community. Yeah. I just kind of did it because everybody else did it. Now we're entering this place where a lot of people aren't doing it and I can no longer go into the flow. So starting off with my curriculum for my family, what am I teaching? What am I teaching myself? What am I teaching my kids? Waiting for somebody else to decide what the curriculum is, is a big mistake. Nobody goes into their job saying, man, I really want to suck today. Nobody goes to school saying that I want to be a dropout or I don't want to succeed, right? Nobody does that. And yet, why do we fail? We fail because we, we let somebody else create the agenda. More than, more than ever, I think with both of these, we have to ask ourselves, what are we teaching? I think that's, the, that's it. I'm over here doing finger snaps, man. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. I'll poetic. Well, thank you. Yeah, and Bill here hanging out with us says, start with your 30,000-foot why think that's fantastic 
All right, that's going to do it for today. Tell everybody what's coming up on Paychecks and Balances, man. Yes. On this week's podcast, we're going to be talking to Sylvia Inks, who I think uh, you know as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about uh, money and relationships as well. So super excited to release that one. And by the time this comes out, that episode will already be out there and we have a fun conversation. It's her second time on the podcast. And uh, I really love both Marcus and I love chatting with Sylvia. And I was going to say, yes, Sylvia is awesome. And by the way, if you're looking for an influencer to follow uh, and for your family to follow, uh, Rich and his his co-host Marcus, two great guys, influencers to follow, where they're not going to they're not going to make your kids want to buy the better lunchbox. That's (laughs) not going to not going to be happening when you go get school supplies. No, they'll probably learn some of the uh, horrible decisions that we've made and it'll be very, yeah, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> that put these two guys in a very bad situation. So there's definitely a lot of that on the show. I love that. And on social. Uh, yeah, and on social. And we'll link to all those at moneywithfriendspodcast.com. All right, guys, thanks to everybody hanging out with us today on Facebook. Thanks to everybody listening, everybody over on YouTube. We'll see you next time back here at Money With Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is the amazing Steve Stewart. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends.